This episode of the Commercial Real Estate Investor Podcast is brought to you by CRE Launch Pro. This online commercial real estate program is designed to take you from beginner to pro commercial real estate investor with access to all of my courses, our online community, and monthly group coaching calls. Learn how to confidently buy your first commercial property today at www.crelaunchpro.com. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Investor Podcast. Today, we are going to be diving in on Flex Industrial with the expert himself, Hamza Ali. He has over $270 million worth of Flex Industrial assets, started off in Texas and has branched out well beyond that. He was actually in Dubai last week or a couple of weeks ago uh, on a last minute trip, I believe, because we had to reschedule this. So I can't wait to hear you know, what kind of assets you're looking at out there. That sounds really interesting and, and looked like an amazing trip. Today, we're going to be diving into an overview on Flex Industrial, the benefits of investing in this asset class, and how you can buy your first or your next Flex Industrial investment. So Hamza, that was a brief introduction of yourself, but tell us a little bit about who you are. Thanks, Tyler. Really appreciate that. Um, I'm glad to be here, you know, and hopefully give the listeners uh, the, the value that they're really looking for when it comes to this asset class and to build awareness, of course, around it. Um, so really briefly, you know, uh, first of all, I'm an immigrant. I moved to the U.S. nine years ago. I actually moved here from Dubai. So, you know, I like to believe that I brought a little bit of vision with me because I saw that city become literally from the desert that it was when I grew up. I literally used to play soccer on streets that were not paved. Um, and, you know, it was like uh, sandstorms every weekend that there wasn't much to do into then becoming one of the most fascinating cities in the world. Um and, you know, the reason I moved here is because I, I read this book. It was called uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. And uh, I learned all about leverage and all about real estate. And back then, the banking system, the leverage system just didn't exist there. So uh, it was very difficult to scale uh, in that country for me at that time. Of course, things have changed today. Uh, that city is just growing so fast. It's fast. It's, you know, it's just phenomenal at the pace that it's growing at. And so... Uh, you know, came here, found my way in real estate, in flex more specifically, ended up doing multifamily, which is why I'm an advocate against multifamily. Uh, very there we go. <laughs> very you and, I, you and I are very much aligned on that. I get a lot of flag for being anti-multifamily. Right. And so, you know, I mean, look, the, the reality is the multifamily guys are having a hard time now. We're starting to see the domino effect of what we've been speaking about, you know, they added all the value. Unfortunately, they're not able to increase the rents to where the value was added. And so the reality is it's just going to be a painful ride from here. Insurance rates, you know, have gone up a hundred percent in some cases, more than that, depending on where you are in the country. And I used to be 1400 doors. So I used to be a multifamily operator. I'm out of that space uh, because I just, the, the return on effort uh, was just too, it was just too little for me. And so I moved into flex, never looked back. There you go, man. Yeah, I that, I feel the same way. I never really got into multifamily, but I have a bunch of friends that have done that. And just watching the amount of work that they have to put into it compared to what we get to do on the commercial side, not that what we're doing is easy by any means, but we're getting higher returns for the same amount of effort that we're putting into all of these deals. Uh, and real quick, before we dive into, if you're interested about learning more about FlexSpace, and want to connect with other investors, Hamza is hosting an event at the Circuit of Americas, November 16th and 17th. I'll be speaking at that event uh, down in Austin, Texas, called FlexSpace Connect. I think it's FlexSpaceConnect.com. Uh, if you want to go check out. Awesome. Yeah, go check that out if you want to learn some more information. But Hamza, talk to us about that. I mean, wh why did you decide to build a community around, around FlexSpace? 
So I feel like the niche is extremely underserved. Um, it's, you know, to me as an immigrant coming to America, it's fascinating that out of everybody who could have been the avatar for Flexspace, it just happened to be me. Um, uh, and you know, uh, in this day and age, you can still find something that you can be an avatar for and represent it all over the country. It's just, it's so fascinating to me. So I actually took it upon myself to build this community. Obviously, uh, you know, we have a mastermind, we have investors, we have a fund. Um, and so I was like, you know what, let me add a conference onto that for people to actually see, uh, meet each other, talk to each other and really understand what Flex is all about and how simple it is to get into when, you know, uh, in comparison to other asset classes in commercial real estate. Yeah, I think that's so true. It's a very interesting asset class, especially if you're a beginner looking to get into commercial real estate. It is a wonderful asset to invest in because oftentimes the institutional guys and your bigger investors are not buying this type of real estate. They're not developing this type of real estate. They're typically doing distribution, logistics, the much bigger warehouses out there. But Hamza, tell us what flex space is, because I know that there's some confusion out there as to what it is and sometimes isn't. Yeah, so flex space is, I would say, an easy entry for any beginner. Think about a single story, single family home, maybe a three, two, one. You know, no, no complications. Very simple. I would compare uh, flex space equivalent to that in the in the world of commercial real estate. So if anybody's looking to scale, you know. They're looking to build multiple buildings. They're looking to build a business park. They're looking to do multi-million dollar transactions. This is probably the easiest way to get into that. And what Flexspace allows you to do is it basically allows you to build these small metal buildings. And I call them small because they can be as small as 2,000 square feet, maybe even smaller. And they go up to about 12,000 square feet, depending on what the county allows, right? And you can have multiple tenants within one building. So in my case, for example, I like to have five to six tenants per building. These buildings are uh, 12,000 square feet, and that means each bay or each space or each unit, right, is about 2,000 square feet. Lots of businesses need these spaces. There is a huge demand right now, um, and we just can't keep up. And so what I ended up doing or what I ended up figuring out is that you can de-risk yourself by putting many tenants in there. Um, but then again, you have many tenants who actually need the entire building as well. So they come in and they're like, hey, man, look. We want the entire building. And I'm like, oh, well, perfect, you know? Um, and so really uh, the idea is small bay office warehouses where you have 90% warehouse, 10% office that's pre-built, ready to go. You can literally hand them the keys tomorrow and they can start operating um, and grow within your business park. So that's really what Flexspace is. That's great. I mean, I love the the turnkey solution there for the tenants because when you, uh, as a landlord, are, are going out and trying to get these spaces leased, a lot of these smaller tenants, you know, we're talking about 2,000 square foot tenants here. They don't want to spend the time going through a build out. They don't want to deal with pulling permits and dealing with codes. They want to just be able to take those keys and move right in. So are you finding that the overwhelming majority of these businesses are in like the service industry or what kind of tenant base do you typically find in Flexspace? So tenant profile is very interesting. Most people, I think, get intimidated and think these are industrial manufacturing guys who, you know, are coming in and doing heavy lifting. And it's really not the case. Um, we've had such phenomenal, cool businesses that now move into flex space that it is just changing. Businesses that did not exist just a couple of years ago now exist. And I'll give you a very good example. Pickleball. Pickleball is probably now the number one most desired tenant to have in a flex space because all they're really looking for is empty space, right? 
last year or the year before rather, it was um, podcast studios. We had a ton of podcast studios come up um, and they wanted they wanted flex space because they need open areas where they can set up their, uh, you know, set up their couches and microphones and setups. And they have multiple backgrounds, multiple areas that they can uh, function out of. Before that, uh, we've seen daycares, we've seen boxing gyms, CrossFit gyms, uh, you know, we have swimming pool companies, uh, lawnmower repair facilities. We even had this guy, really cool business. Uh, he brought JDM cars, classic cars like Toyota Supras and Nissan Skylines um, from Canada once they passed that 25-year mark. So classic cars, they're considered classic now. He would ship them in, build them up, sell them. You know, We've had tenants that have done Airstream restoration. So those Chrome RV type product that you pull behind a car, um, they come in, they do a full resto on it, um, and then they sell them, right? And so such a variety of unique businesses that really, if you think about it, cannot operate unless you give them these spaces, cannot become creative until you provide them with these spaces. That's right. And what we've seen quite a bit over the last decade is that these flex spaces are typically closer to the urban core. They have a higher and better use. And so a lot of developers are buying them up and tearing them down and building apartments or they're building new office space or they're building retail. So talk to us about the the vacancy and demand rates for this type of product. Yeah. So look, older product will get replaced at some point because cost of land does go up, right? So you have to be very cautious as to where you're building these spaces because we're building them brand new. So what I like to see is I like to see them being built in high growth corridors, meaning brand new neighborhoods where land is abundant and still relatively inexpensive so that the numbers work and the deal makes sense, right? Um, based off of that, what we are seeing is uh, when we move into these high growth corridors where the demand is significantly higher because you have all of these subdivisions, brand new subdivisions that are being built, what you're seeing is that the vacancy naturally, organically is relatively low. And I would say with me specifically, just because uh, you know I have so much availability uh, as in product that is coming up on the ground and we have such aggressive marketing uh, approaches, we actually have waiting lists on all of our flex spaces. And for our viewers here, I want you guys to drive around. And now that you're listening to this, you're going to drive around, you're going to get to see some of these flex spaces. You will notice that these things are getting occupied really quickly. So if there's a if there's a brand new product that's coming up that says for lease or for rent, uh, chances are you come two weeks later, it's not going to be there. Yeah, before I got further into the development and investment side of things, I started off my career as a broker, and we still have the brokerage in house. But you know, even five seven years ago, I was telling developers, I was like, if you can build flex space, it will lease before you deliver it. There is so much demand for it. All the products being torn down. And none of it's being built back. I mean, if you look at the data of the types of industrial that have been built over the last, I want to say it was like 10 years last time I looked at it, less than 3% or less than 2% of the total industrial product that has been developed in the last 10 years has been flex space. And those businesses have super high demand. Let's see, Anthony Russell is saying top operators speaking with each other. Love this. Absolutely, Anthony. Thanks for the kind words. Appreciate you joining us. So Hamza, talk to us about, you know, like if you're a beginner, how do you make the numbers work on a flex space deal? Like when you say, you know, we're looking for cheaper land, what does that mean to you? Yeah. So look, we have criteria and to, to make it very simple, criteria is extremely simple, right? Land needs to be below $5 a square foot. You need to have at least an acre um, for the numbers to work. So one acre below five bucks a foot. Um, and then you need to build at least 10,000 square feet. Um, 
at 10,000 square feet, I think the numbers work in your favor. Anything more than that is, I would say, just added value that you are going to benefit off of. Now, when I talk about 10,000 square feet below five bucks a square foot, of course, you have construction costs that you have to be wary of in there. And that's dependent depending on where you are in the country. But this is a typical uh, 2x return or 2x, uh, 2x multiple exit for you, right? So if you put $100,000 in, you're going to get $100,000 out. Now, of course, there are ways to make a 3x return. We've had you know people in my community make more than that. Uh, it really just depends on a few things. Price of land uh, versus uh, time of construction, because obviously the time here is of the most value, right? Most people actually think that it's the cost, but if it's going to cost you 10% less and it's going to take you five years to build, and now you're calculating your return um, over five years, it's going to be 20% or 15%, which is very poor, right? So we're trying to knock these things out very quickly. And the cool thing about Flex is because it's so simple, we can do that. We can turn these projects around in 12 to 18, maximum 24 months. And that's kind of where we want to be. And I think that is where all the money is being made. That makes a lot of sense because cap rates are so low. It's so easy to just flip these projects as soon as you've got them leased up. Do you keep any of these flex space uh, projects for cash flow, or what's what's kind of your your thought process on that? Yeah. So when I was starting off, obviously um, there's two schools of thought. One of them is cash flow, and the other one is a refi. So you refi out, you get a little bit little bit of equity in. Um, I actually created a whole new school of thought, which is sell the whole thing entirely, just because the demand, like I said, is so high, and if you think about it, right, every deal that you sell, and let's say you're making a 2x return minimum, right? Every deal that you sell allows you now to do two deals. And if you follow that path, if you follow that journey eight years down the line, um, on a refi scenario, you would do, let's say, three refis over 10 years or eight years, whatever it is, versus every deal gives you two deals. You end up with like eight deals at the end of eight years versus just three, right? Um, and so I am a big believer in if you're starting out like I did, you know, uh, a couple of years ago, buy, sell, buy, sell, buy, sell. Um, once you have many uh, lots that you're working on, then you can decide, okay, I want to sell this one. I want to refi this one. I'm going to cash flow this one. And then it becomes a mixed basket. And then of course you fall into all of these like uh, tax laws and you want to preserve wealth. And so, you know, you kind of have to, you, you come to a point where you're juggling everything just to make sure that you're being the most efficient, right? Yeah, that makes sense. So when you're, when you're, let's say you put the piece of land under contract, how long does it take for you to go from, you know, contract until a finished product in the flex space? Because these buildings aren't nearly as complicated as apartment units, right? Yeah, very simple. Um, ideal scenario is you're in the county, so you're outside of city limits. Um, like I said, land is below a certain uh, price per square foot. You're, you're once again building a certain amount of square footage. Ideally, you would want to be done in 18 months. And this is from contract all the way to stabilized product that you can now sell. Okay. And then, you know, I know that there's a many, many, many different types of flex space out there, right? I mean, I've seen some that are basically glorified self-storage units all the way up to, uh, we had a developer do a very similar project to what you were talking about earlier, where it was basically a a clubhouse for the super wealthy to have all of their toys. I mean, we're talking hydraulic lifts in it to to have multiple cars in there, like a cigar lounge and all this kind of stuff. So what what style do you focus on? You know, I focus on the style that can give me a two to three X return. And and I'll and I'll be more clear on that. Obviously, 
if you are in a location where you're catering to, let's say, individual condo style flex spaces and you can charge 300 bucks a square foot when you sell it, um, all, you know, that's amazing. But I cater mainly to people who are running small to medium businesses in them. And so for that, we do have a ceiling on what we are able to charge because these people need to make a living. They need to turn a profit. They have bills to pay, right? And we are well aware as to what prices are like um, across the board in the country. And I'll tell you this, our average uh, price per square foot is about 16 bucks a square foot triple net. And so we have to be cautious on how much we're spending. Of course, we want to deliver the best product, right? But we have to, at some point, be cautious of how much we are able to spend in order to stay within that sort of 16 to $18 triple net all across the board. This is an average across the country, right? Now, obviously, when we're building them in Dubai, uh, which we are, it's a whole different ballgame. It's right. a completely different product. It's a completely different target demographic, and it's a different business, right? Um, and so because now we operate internationally, uh, we have to address the needs of each specific, uh, I guess, country. Um, and for that, we know exactly what we can charge on the back end. So we have to build in our construction criteria, price per square foot, according to that. Yeah. So we we actually looked at a flex deal down in, uh, gosh, it was between Austin and San Antonio, New Braunfels, Texas, not oh, too long ago. Area. Yeah, it was a great area. It was a great deal. But you know, when I was running the numbers, we got a couple of quotes from contractors in the area. And you could tell me, maybe this was, they were just, you know, saying, hey, this guy's from out of state. Let's, uh, let's really run these numbers up. But I was getting quotes, you know, this was for the horizontal. So all of the site development and the vertical construction was going to be about $125 to $130 a foot. Is that in line with, with kind of what you're saying? I would say, uh, you know, the thing is we, we have about 150 members in our, in our community and a lot of them started construction. Uh, we are seeing between 85, well, we are seeing a little lower than that, but I'm not going to go into the lower. I'm going to go into the general contractors. Like, so you literally just hire a general contractor and you move forward. We're seeing about 85 to 115 across the board, all over the country. So you're not too far off. Um, we'd of course have to look at the product, see what the schematics look like, see if your drawings were approved or not, you know, and based off of that, we can kind of uh, eliminate things that may be uh, costly and then optimize other things that could help you bring down the cost. Yeah, that makes sense. So are y'all typically putting in roll-up doors and loading docks? I mean, it sounds like y'all, you're almost catering more towards, you know, the cooler businesses that just want a little, you know, wide open space. But I know that, you know, like electricians and plumbers and HVAC technicians will often rent these as well. So what's kind of your approach on that front? Yeah, so no loading docks, uh, no heavy uh, containers on site, um, no larger vehicles. And I'll tell you why. You know, more often what we see is you have this one building. Now, if the tenant is leasing the entire building, obviously they can do whatever they want. They can park the truck there. They can have containers, whatnot. You know, that's a, that's an exception. But that is an exception, right? Most tenants come in, they want these smaller spaces. And if you have loading docks or these larger vehicles that are moving in and out, um, they're going to create a lot of unnecessary traffic. Unless they're coming in once every two weeks, load, unload really quickly, you know, after hours, whatever it is. Um, and that kind of uh, movement will disrupt the entire flow of your business park, right? And tenants will get upset and you don't want to do that. Just like any other asset class, you have to be mindful of who your customer is. And in, in our cases, since most of our customers are small to medium businesses, we opt out of loading uh, loading docks. However, we do opt into what, it, what we think is going to trend with the tenants. And I'll give you an example. A couple of years ago, we implemented nine by nine glass uh, frontage for all our offices. It was very well uh, accepted by our tenants. They loved the product. Nine by nine seemed to be like exactly what we wanted to do. And we have to be careful 
on how much width uh, we can give them as far as glass because each space, you know, you only have a certain amount of width in each building, right? So we, we identified that nine by nine is the optimal size. We went with that. It was very well received. We love that. Um, we went with 12 by 12 for our garage doors and the tenants love that as well. But now what we're starting to see is as the, as the demand shifts, as you know, more and more businesses are looking into these, we're noticing that they don't really mind having a smaller uh, glass uh, front, but they would want a larger garage door, meaning they want like 14 by 12s as the garage door. You know, they want to get those sprinter vans in there or the loading vans in there. Um, and they don't mind giving up a little bit of the storefront for that. So, you know, we have to figure out what exactly the customer wants, what exactly the tenant is looking for. And now we we progress that way. And now the cool thing is we just have so many data points with all, you know, over a hundred developers building these that we really are live in time and we know exactly where we need to go next. What other trends are you seeing start to emerge in the flex space world? Um, we are starting to see people shy away from the traditional color schemes. Uh, people want more cooler stuff now. Businesses are getting cooler. These tenants are getting younger and younger. A lot of them are social media influencers running a business. So, you know, you have like a, uh, especially like a party company or event planning companies or podcasting companies or t-shirt printing companies. Uh, we even have giveaway companies, you know, that are renting out these flex spaces in order to store product, film stuff, you know, they do photo shoots in there and then they give away product. So as we see this, and you know, relatively inexpensive, once again, you're in that 16 to 18 triple net across the board all over the country. So because of the type of tenants we're seeing, they want trendy stuff. They want trendier stuff. They don't want the traditional stone. They're more into the grays, more into the you know neon color schemes. Uh, they want the garage doors. They want to be able to design stuff on their garage doors that could be logos, that could be, you know, uh, uh, they, they call somebody to come in and paint some artwork. So we're starting to see a lot of cool things happen as these tenants become, uh, you know, uh, bring in different types of businesses. Yeah, that's pretty neat. My grandfather has owned an industrial flex complex for, gosh, 15, 20 years now. He used to own a construction company and it was originally his offices. And then as he started slowly, uh, you know, shutting that company down, he ended up just leasing out all the buildings. And I told him that a few years ago. I was like, this building doesn't stand out. I mean, you're kind of in an industrial park. Everything here is kind of boring. I bet if we take if we painted the building like a gunmetal gray and put some accents on it, we'd start getting some attention. And immediately, he started saying, you know, an uptick in calls of people wanting the building. It's funny how that works. Yeah, the color. Sometimes I think the lowest hanging fruit is the color, and then a lot of people don't pay attention to the landscaping. Um, I have found that landscaping is probably the lowest hanging fruit when it comes to charging the tenant an extra dollar a square foot. Literally, all you do is just uh, spruce up the landscaping and a dollar square foot more. How do you how do you spruce up landscaping? So, you know, in your architecturals, in your designs, uh, what we do now is on the sides of each building, we actually now plant trees, um, you know, and there's like, it's like a hilly style landscaping, whereas opposed to in the past, you know, you had these concrete almost dig outs and you just throw a little bit of grass in there and hope it grows and let nature take care of, you know, growth. Now it's more intentional. Uh, we may not have gotten as far as to having full irrigation system. So we don't have that, but we are seeing that these designs in the landscaping makes a huge difference on the side of these buildings. Interesting. Yeah. We'll have to keep that in mind on our next project. I like that a lot. What do people often get wrong about flex space? I think 
as an investor, what people often get wrong is they get intimidated by the fact that it is commercial real estate and they think it must be difficult to get into. So I'm going to go ahead and buy four more houses and deal with four more tenants and four more roofs and four more HVACs. And I think that is where they get everything wrong, um, which is why I took it upon myself you know, to start social media, get on YouTube, get on TikTok, get on Instagram and talk about all of these things and show people that, look, these are my tenants. I actually go and have a conversation with them. They're just normal people. They're just, they just want to do their work. They have mortgages that they need to pay. They have kids that they need to raise. And this is the business that they do it with. And believe it or not, I think I've changed quite a few minds, um, as have you. And uh, I think we'll continue to do that, man, as we, as we progress. Yeah. I mean, hey, somebody's got to get out there and do it, right? You know, Tim Ferriss has a, a question that he ends almost all of his podcasts with. It's like, if you could have a billboard with anything on it that the whole world would see, what would it be? And I think mine would be stop buying apartments. <laughs> I just don't think that that's the future of, of real estate investing. I know that there's a market for it, but man, you see what happened over the last couple of years. You had a lot of people in 2021 overpaying and buying with adjustable rate mortgages, and they've gotten in a lot of trouble. Well, Hamza, this has been an, an amazing conversation on Flex Space. If anybody wants to reach out to you to talk about investing in the Flex world, I know you guys have a fund they could invest with you uh, or just have general questions. How can they find you? Yeah. So I think the easiest way to get in touch with me is to get on to my website, HamzaInvest.com. And there's a button that says invest with Hamza. You don't have to invest with me, uh, but every message that is or every application or questionnaire that's filled out over there, I do go over um, and I will, you know, reach out to you. Of course, you can always follow me on my socials. It's Hamza Invest. It's very easy. Um, and you can see what I'm up to. That's great. Hamza, thank you so much for coming on the show. I will see you in uh, November. I'm excited. All Thanks right. for having take, me. Take care. This episode of the Commercial Real Estate Investor Podcast is brought to you by CRE Launch Pro. This online commercial real estate program is designed to take you from beginner to pro commercial real estate investor with access to all of my courses, our online community, and monthly group coaching calls. Learn how to confidently buy your first commercial property today at www.crelaunchpro.com.